There are schools of thought that believe we have unlimited scope and possibilities for making decisions. The truth is that our scope is somehow restricted and we have less room. It is therefore key that we engage in innovative decision-making to optimize opportunities in our business and personal lives. We need to understand our decision-making skills as individuals and organizations. This will enable us to adjust accordingly to the constant changing environment. Question. If Jesus had taught at Harvard Business School on these related issues, what would he have to say? My name is Timike Akinbulamo. Welcome to today's episode of the If Jesus Taught at Harvard Business School podcast. In today's session, we have Adi Ojomo, a management consultant in the consulting, advisory and training space, exploring the frameworks required to identify business opportunities. A call to maximize opportunities is seen in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, where we advise to be careful on how we live, not as the unwise, making the most of every opportunity as the days are evil. Some further statements around the importance and value of maximizing opportunities are as follows. Number one, there are opportunities everywhere. You just have to find them and execute. Number two, Success always comes when preparation meets opportunity. Number three, A.R. Bernard in a quote highlighted that application is the evidence of learning. Application is key as opportunities do not come in a structured format. Hence the importance of creating structured frameworks to manage these opportunities from identification to implementation. Let me give you a story. I'm going to give you two stories um, to, to lead us into today's topic. Um, in the Bible, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, God was advising the children of Israel to get ready for the opportunities that lay ahead of them in this new land in this so-called promised land. The opportunities will be there awaiting them. They just needed to be ready to execute when they were identified. Now, this is a story I got from um, a book about Steve Jobs written by a guy called Walter Isaacson. And in one of the chapters, it was quite, <laughs> I quite liked the, the concept of the story because it also stresses the fact that opportunities don't come in a structured format. And this is how the story goes. One day, Riley arranged a surprise after-hours visit to Sun Studio, the Red Brick Shrine, where Elvis, Johnny Cash, B.B. King, and many other rock and rolls pioneered recorded. They were given a private tour and a history lecture by one of the young staffers who sat with Jobs on the cigarette scar bench that Jerry Lee Lewis used. Jobs, at this point in time, was arguably the most influential person in the music industry at that time. But this kid didn't recognize him in his emancipated state. In other words, he was quite ill. 
As they were leaving, Steve Jobs told Riley, that kid was really smart. We should hire him for iTunes. So Riley called Eddie Q, who flew the boy out to California for an interview and ended up hiring him to help build the early R&B and rock and roll sections of iTunes. When Riley went back to see his friends at Sun Studio later, they said that it proved, as their slogan said, that your dreams can still come true at Sun Studio. As I said, this is an extract from uh, Steve Jobs, by, written by Walter Isaacson. Now, this young staffer must have had a mindset of being the best at what he does, even though it sounded menial. This same position, when exposed to the right opportunity, promoted him to work for one of the most successful brands to date, which is iTunes. I mean, the kid was smart. He knew what he was doing and he was prepared. We've got to remember that it says this guy was a young staffer and all he was doing was giving a private tour of, of, of the studio and Steve Jobs was impressed. And once this opportunity was provided, he excelled. He maximized this opportunity. Now, because... Opportunities come in an unstructured format. You have, to have a, you have to have in life a framework which enables you to identify opportunities when they come and to be able to deliver them to the marketplace or the market as the opportunity arises. You know, as I said, opportunities always arise at something called a Kairos moment, unplanned movement. Kairos is, uh, Kairos is to do with um, that seizing the moment. In other words, when that opportunity comes, how prepared are you? Now, I have identified two frameworks which I would believe will help us to facilitate this process. Um, first of all, you need to have a decision-making framework to enable you to identify these opportunities. And you also have to have a delivery framework to execute them. You know, hopefully, <laughs> at an interview level, we may be able to get through both. But most importantly, from a driver or catalyst point of view, the decision-making framework is very important because that enables you to identify these opportunities. Now, the first component in this framework is a word that we hear all the time and, you know, and, I, and I use it quite a lot in, in, in our workshop sessions, but it's the most important component when it comes to decision-making and that's your vision. Um, now, opportunities can actually be sourced if you have a vision. What is the vision for your life? Because a vision provides the drive for order and structure into our chaotic lives by facilitating a sense of purpose. A vision makes us dream. A vision makes us gain perspective. A vision helps us to bring meaning to situations and circumstances. Now, let me give you, let me give you a background to why, why the, the, the vision statement is, is very, very important. Now, um, as I said, without a vision, our lives will be in chaos. Chaos can arise from in the life of an individual. It can uh, arise in, in, in the life of a company that has developed without clear directions, uh, without clear structure, without aligned activities, incentives, and controls. Now, now l listen to the following. Out of the chaos of apartheid and the vision for a free South Africa provided the opportunities later on for the blacks to unite. And now we see a black government in South Africa. And also we see a rise in black millionaire businessmen who seize the opportunity of increased power and authority to chart the direction for South Africa. Out of the chaos of apartheid. Um, out of the chaos of a lack of civil rights in America and the vision and the dream for a country that whites and blacks will have equal rights led to the birth of the civil rights movement, which meant, again, more opportunities for blacks to engage in more profitable businesses and commercial activities. 
and careers. Uh, back to South Africa again. Out of the chaos of inequality in South Africa, and again, a vision for freedom provided the opportunity for Mahatma Gandhi to lead India to independence and the platform for what we call India. Now we call India the tiger that is in the making of India as we have seen the vast opportunities in India to date. Out of the chaos, I like this one especially, <laughs> out of the chaos of having to purchase numerous replacement bags for his hoover and the vision for a bagless hoover came the creation of jobs for the Dyson manufacturing industry. So I ask you, what exactly do you see? You know, what did you see at that initial stage to start your business? Because I, I, I say to you that, you know, having this component of the vision enables you to see opportunities. So it's very important that you have this as part of your decision-making framework. And that's why as Christians, it's so important that, you know, we need to get it right so that when we take time away to speak to God, he, he can advise us on what this vision is. He can put a divinely inspired pictures, picture upon our heart. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, Where there is no revelation or vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So you can see that, you know, this vision statement gives us structure, gives us order and brings a sense of purpose and meaning to our chaotic life. So what am I trying to say? You know, when you find yourself in chaos, there's, there's loads of opportunities waiting there for you to discover, but you need to have a sense of purpose. And that's why it's very important that we have a vision. What exactly do you see? Now, the next component in this framework, again, is called a mission statement. And people are asking, how does, a vision, how, does a, how does having a mission statement help us to identify opportunities? I'll tell you how. Now, we said earlier that a vision describes what you see and you envision for your future. A mission statement, on the other hand, outlines how you will achieve it. Hence why it's a very, very important tool to convince your stakeholders as you try to exploit these opportunities. Let me give you some examples. Now, Walmart, they saw an opportunity to do what? This is their mission statement. Um, to give ordinary folks the chance to buy the same things as rich people. So you can see from that mission statement alone, they've identified numerous opportunities. Mary Kay Cosmetics, to give unlimited opportunities to women. Uh, Hewlett Packard, to make technical contributions, contributions for the advancement and welfare of humanity. Nike, to experience the emotion of competition, winning and crushing our competitors. I don't know how far that's true, but <laughs> that's what's on the website. And, and the last one is a company called Merck, to preserve and improve human lives. So you can see... <laughs> By having a vision and by having a mission statement, it's, it's, it's taking you on that, on that journey to identify business opportunities. Um, this is another one I like, again, from the Bible. Lord, this is Moses talking to God, and I'll, I'll paraphrase a bit. Lord, you want me to go back to where? Where I have been named as Egypt's most wanted and to deliver the people that refused my initial attempt? And these people also questioned my role as a ruler and a judge. No way. This task is absolutely impossible as he outlined one of his numerous speeches to try and convince people that the Lord had provided a vast amount of opportunities in the promised land. So how did he convince them? You know, what did Dyson say to get the bagless hoover in production? What did Mandela say in convincing the blacks to continue the struggle because he had seen a free South Africa? How do you convince a populace that peaceful demonstration is the optimum approach because you have a dream that a day exists in the future where equal rights will exist for blacks and whites. 
Another template which I like, which is in the Bible, which outlines his purpose and his intent for living, is in the opening speech of Jesus in the synagogue as he creates awareness of the gospel amongst his stakeholders for the futures. And these stakeholders are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this mission statement allowed Jesus to exploit all the numerous opportunities that arose from the Kairos moments that came in line with his mission statement. Let me give you some examples. So let's look at them. The woman at the well, ministering to children, even though the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like it. Healing of the man at the temple. Healing of Lazarus. Delivering Mary Magdalene from being stoned. Now look at all these opportunities. Because Jesus had a mission statement which said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So which means on his journey, when these opportunities came, he already had a framework to seize the opportunity because he knew his purpose was to heal. He knew his purpose was to proclaim the good news. He knew his purpose was to set people free. He knew his purpose was to, to give sight to the blind. So he already had some form of framework in place so that when these opportunities came, he was pretty much prepared. Um, let's move on. So we've spoken about vision. We've spoken about having a mission statement. Now the next component, which helps as well, is a guideline on to how you behave, a behavioral guideline as to how you will exploit these opportunities. And quite interestingly, from core values, you can actually identify opportunities. Now a vision describes what you see, as we said earlier, and envisions your future. A mission statement, on the other hand, outlines how it will be achieved. So how, what, what role does core values play? Simple. Core values define the principles that will guide you along the way. Now, Thomas Watson Jr., the, the chief, former chief executive of, of IBM, he observed that any great organization that has lasted over the years that's the key word there, lasted over the years to exploit opportunities, owes its resilience to the power of its beliefs and the appeal they have for its people. Now, I did some further research and it's quite interesting that, do you know that industries have been birthed out of the value system or core values of individuals and and organizations? Let me repeat that. Do you know that industries, companies, organizations have been birthed out of the core value systems of individuals and organizations. Now, people that have values based on knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, this actually birthed opportunities for universities and institutes of learning to be established because of the core value systems of people that valued knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now, people that valued hospitality, birthed a a, a whole new industry. It it birthed opportunities in the hotel and leisure industry because of a set of people that believed in hospitality as as their core value system. Other people had the core value system based on compassion. And as we know, this birthed opportunities in having retirement homes and looking after old people. Now, some people value beauty. They value health. Again, this birthed opportunities in the cosmetic and gym industry. 
Again, some people are out there that their value systems are based on equal rights and fair representation. This birthed opportunities in the legal industry. You know, we're talking about our lawyers and our, and our justice system. Now, what are your values? What is your value system? Because within your value system, there are loads and loads of opportunities to serve. There are loads and loads of opportunities to exploit. Now, Joseph in the Bible was a man of integrity and his value system provided opportunities which saw him promoted from the prison to the second in command next to Pharaoh because of that core value system of integrity, which he, which he utilized effectively. Now, the Bible advocates that our gifts, which is some form of core value, will take us before kings. So we needed to be innocent about evil and excellent about what is good. Um, Daniel in the Bible, Daniel of the famous lion den scenario, um, his value system of godliness and excellence. What did it do for him? We all know that it delivered him from the lion's den, providing him the opportunity for him to be elevated to again, a high position in government. Let's move on. Esther, beautiful Esther, Esther's value of beauty and humility enabled her to do what? To deliver a nation from genocide. And may I add, Abigail, also in the same category, delivering her husband, Nabal, the fool, from being assassinated or killed by David because he, if, if he, he refused to provide food to a bunch of hungry men. So you need to define and never, ever compromise your value system because out of these value systems will come numerous opportunities. So if you're kind, continue to be kind. If you're hospitable, continue to be hospitable. You know, if you're, if you're slow to anger, continue to be slow to anger because out of your core systems, loads and loads of opportunities can come. So we've spoken about having a vision statement. We've spoken about having a mission statement. And we also, we've also stressed the importance of having a core value system. And as you can see from the examples that I've given, you can actually identify opportunities from, from these components. Let's move on. Now, the next component in, in this decision-making framework, which is very important, is about people. Again, we call them our stakeholders. Now, the question is, how, how do stakeholders provide opportunities for us? You know, you've got to remember, first of all, these stakeholders are with you nearly every single day. If you go to the workplace, you've got stakeholders at home, they're stakeholders. Your neighbors are stakeholders. So they're, very, they're pretty much key. I remember we're talking about identifying, identifying opportunities. Now, as mentioned earlier, opportunities are everywhere. And one area where they exist the most is within our subconscious of individuals. So the people that you're speaking to subconsciously, sometimes when they're speaking to you, if you have a good listening ear, they're actually telling you, uh, they're actually giving you opportunities if we're patient enough to listen. So who are the key stakeholders that you interact with on a daily basis? You know, how much attention do you give them? And how much effort do you put into listening to what they have to say? As a result of our daily communication with people, people are actually communicating their needs, sometimes partially and sometimes fully. But only if we are observant and diligent will we pick them up. Now, the reason why Jesus, Master Jesus, could exploit the numerous Kairos opportunities, the numerous seize-the-moment opportunities that came his way, is that one of, one of, one of his skills was, listening he was an effective listener rather than argue what did jesus do he would listen and he would respond accordingly you check out your scriptures you can find nowhere in the scriptures where jesus actually argue you know the bible stresses on on his skill of listening and responding in line with what he's heard you know for example 
Meeting the woman at the well was an opportunity for Jesus to minister based on the woman's response at the well. Hence, he listened to her story. She spoke about the fact that she had six husbands, you know, and nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus interrupted. But at the end of it, he said, what you actually need is not another husband. What you need is my, is, is everlasting life. So it was an opportunity for him to minister. Now, if he had not listened to that stakeholder being the woman at the world, he wouldn't have been able to understand what she needed and he wouldn't have been able to provide that, you know, the, provide that value proposition or that service or product to meet the opportunity presented before him. Now, a mother feeds her baby based on the opportunities identified by studying the baby's action. Another stakeholder in the process, by studying the stakeholder that is the baby, the mother knows the right opportunity to feed the baby. Joseph, again, he listened to Pharaoh's dream and he identified the opportunity to become a consultant and he provided a solution by studying the stakeholder in place. Daniel, as we know, listened to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And again, he identified the opportunity to become a consultant and provided a solution. So you can see when you're talking to people, they are always presenting you with opportunities to, to provide a service or a product. So the question is, do we observe and study our customer base long enough? Do we observe our current processes long enough to identify improvement opportunities? Now, a friend of mine actually identified a car washing opportunity by observing the amount of cars that came to church in summer. And he just passed a comment, oh, these cars could do with a bath. And he thought, you know what? Why don't I just set up a, a car washing company Observe, by, by observing? Um, let's see. On a final note, you know, when we're dealing with people, we, what is key is that, you know, don't just think of money first of all. Be customer centric. Think of how you can fulfill the needs of these people because the money will come later. Now, Daniel, we said earlier, he solved the king's problem, but it also provided the opportunity for him to showcase his God-given skills. Now, if he had focused on money rather than providing a solution, he could potentially have lost that opportunity to be promoted into prosperity. Because if we follow that story on, we can see that there were follow-on opportunities for him to provide his value proposition and his service. So now we're going to look at another component in this decision-making framework, and it's called internal assessment. Uh, what's internal assessment about? Well, earlier in the presentation, we spoke about preparation meeting success. You know, another area that we need to talk, to talk about is our character. You know, do we have the character to sustain these opportunities when they come our way? Do we have the strength of character like Joseph and Daniel to exploit the opportunities when they come? Now, what is character? You know, a lot of people ask me this and I also ask people as well because you get different different definitions of character. But I, I like this one by the United States Air Force Academy. Um, they've highlighted that character can be described as the sum of those qualities of moral excellence that stimulates a person to do the right thing, which is manifested through right and proper action, despite internal or external pressures to the contrary. I'll repeat that. Character can be described as the sum of those qualities of moral excellence that stimulate a person to do the right thing, which is manifested through right and proper actions despite internal or external pressures to the country. Abraham Lincoln had his say, 
He said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And we have numerous examples, not just in the UK, but in Africa and in so many countries where, you know, the characters of some leaders are questionable. Um, so the question is, do we have the internal framework and structure? In other words, do we have the character to fully exploit the opportunities when they come? You know, do we have the right infrastructure in terms of finance, in terms of discipline, human resources? What are our current limitations? And there's something that I specifically like called dynamic capability. How flexible or how responsive are you to change? Now, Bill Gates came up with a statement called, he actually wrote a book on it called The Speed of Thought. And with technology, ideas are coming every second you know, so you have to be dynamic enough to change and have the right infrastructure in place to support the change. Let me give you an example. Example of such a situation is when the company called Coca-Cola um, was faced in with a decision in 1985. Um, they decided, <laughs> what I call it, an astounding decision to change the original formula of its premier drink called Coke. Based on what? Based on results it received from doing blind test research. And blind test research is where you give people two samples to drink and they will tell you which one is Coke. So based on that, they decided, you know what, we're going to get rid of um, uh, uh, the formula and, and use another one. Now, uh, there was a devastating effect on the balance sheet of Coke. Uh, if you read the story up, it, it was such a devastating, uh, uh, had such a de devastating impact. Now, other companies would have been devastated. But why did Coke survive? Simple. They had the internal framework and they had the dynamic capability. In other words, they had the character to reverse this decision. And what did they do? They relaunched the original drink as classic Coke with an accompanying boom in sales. So sometimes you, your character has to be able to support these opportunities because sometimes it, they don't come in a, on, you know, they don't come in a gold platter. Sometimes they come in the period of depression. Sometimes they come in the period of a boom. So the important thing is, do you have the infrastructure, um, the character to sustain and to maintain these opportunities when they come? Now, what did they do? They created a new opportunity out of a dire situation with positive results. So now another one I've got here is prior to Jesus announcing his mission and hence his reason for existence to the Sadducees and Pharisees, we are told in the Bible that he was taken to the wilderness to be tempted or evaluated by the accuser in these key areas. And that's quite interesting because what the Bible is telling us is that before Jesus could launch his ministry, he had to be tested in those areas that may, if not tested adequately, could lead to his downfall. And we know what those areas are. There was the flesh, Basically, whatever appeals strongly to the feelings of our body. He was tested with regards eyes, his eyes, whatever attracts us strongly as we look at it. And then there was the pride of life, whatever appeals to our pride and makes us feel good about ourselves or boost our ego. Now, it's quite interesting that it was in these areas that Jesus faced his major challenges from some of his stakeholders as they tried to distract him from accomplishing his mission. His success in the wilderness. In other words, having, having been tested in, in, in those areas of his character that may have led to his downfall, uh, he was adequately placed to handle 
not just all situations that came his way, but all the opportunities that came his way as well. So we need to understand things like what is our strengths and weaknesses? You know, we need to understand you know, uh, what's the level of our balance sheet currently? Can we sustain the opportunities that are going to come or will we need to leverage? Will we need to borrow? Will we need to have partnerships? Will we need to have collaborations? You know, we need to understand the culture that we have. Can the culture we have support um, the opportunities when they come? You know, what are the critical issues facing the organization or facing us so that when these opportunities come, you know, the issues that we're facing, is it going to be a, a detriment to us exploiting these opportunities? You know, things like, the, you know, what, what's, what, what are our limitations? We need to understand all these. What are the customer's perception? You know, and basically, what's the general condition of ourselves or the business? Because, you know, if, the, if our company is in a weak position, you know, can we still, are we focusing on keeping the company alive at the detriment of maximizing the opportunities when they come. In other words, do we know ourselves? Do we know our companies? Do we know the financial? Do we know the state of our companies uh, to be able to fully exploit these opportunities as we come? I know I've been talking a lot about the, the you know components of the decision making framework, uh, and I'm sure maybe some of our viewers were expecting me to start speaking about money and stuff like that. But if we don't get the decision making framework correct or the delivery framework. You know, we, we, you may make money in the short term, but you don't have a solid base to sustain the going concern of your company. So let's move on. So after doing a, an assessment of ourselves, we now have to assess the environment in which we are operating in. Now, in the wilderness, we know an internal assessment or evaluation was carried out for Jesus in three major areas to determine whether Jesus had the right core competencies to carry out his mission. Now, in the insight given to us by Jesus, he, he also identified some of the components. In other words, in his mission statement that we spoke about earlier, he also identified some of the components of the external environment that required assessment. As a result, Jesus knew who his prospective customers were customers were he knew who his customer groups were and he also knew what their key needs are i mean i mentioned it earlier about the woman at the well and there's so many examples where jesus in providing miracles he knew in advance what they were expecting he knew who his key competitors were and he also knew how to respond as highlighted in the numerous encounters that he had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Sometimes he kept quiet. Sometimes he gave them an answer. Sometimes he gave them an answer in parables. Sometimes he gave them an answer in riddles. Sometimes he answered them directly. It's only because he understood the environment in which he was operating in. Do you understand the environment that you're operating in? When these opportunities come, are you 100% sure that you understand the environment that has presented these opportunities? Jesus was also aware of the current legislation and the fiscal policy of the time. And people are saying, why? Of course, he paid his tax. When it was time to pay tax, he told Peter, you know, go go to was it go to the to the lake and pull out a fish and you see a coin. He not only that, Jesus maximized every opportunity to preach the gospel, and where necessary, in order to to spread uh, to fully exploit these opportunities, he delegated authorities to his disciples to take the gospel around the world. He was astute in dealing with the threats uh, posed by the Sanhedrin and the Roman machinery. How did he handle that? by speaking the truth at all times and holding his peace when it was required. Now, assessing the environmental impact 
helps you to avert potential strategic disasters. This process will involve the following. Looking not within your organization, but looking outside your organization, looking outside yourself and assessing what is occurring in the market currently. Your competitors, if there are any regulations, you know, technology, labor, market. What are all these things saying with regards to this opportunity? Are they supporting these opportunities or are they a hindrance to you exploiting these opportunities? And that's why, you know, some some people have set up what we call lobbying companies so that anything that will hinder these opportunities from being fully materialized, you send a lobby agent to try and influence the law. Um and I guess that's why a lot of us, <laughs> you know, we've run to places like Jersey to um, to maximize uh, tax benefits. <laughs> now, uh, why is it why is it important that we, um, we 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 study the external assessment? Now, there's a statement in the Bible that really qu- qualifies this: why we have to do it. That says we are in the world, but not of the world. It doesn't mean that we should ignore our surroundings, but it places a mandate upon us to determine the impact of the environment on the success of our organizations. We need to identify the boundaries that have been established as a result of these factors, which can stem from politics, social cultural issues, environmental issues, economical issues, nowadays technology and legal and design. And and once we know that, we can design our strategies around that so that we can become overcomers. It's very, very important and it's prudent that we know the world we operate in. Now, the final component of this decision-making framework is something called organizational structure. Now, why is it important? Let me take a leaf from the Bible. Now, the Bible advocates that two is better than one for so many reasons. Some we can talk about, some we cannot. But it is true that no man is an island, and sometimes we need partnerships to exploit opportunities you know we need to understand that we like jesus said we can't carry the burden ourselves jesus says, cast cast what cast our burdens onto jesus so he's, he's already given us a template to say you can't do everything sometimes you need partnerships sometimes you need help and it takes humility to, to admit that you need help now the bible also tells us that as the holy spirit brooded over the chaotic state of the earth it was apparent that some form of order and organization was needed in order for God to continue the going concern of the universe. A structure was required in advance of the creation of God's masterpiece called man. In other words, a man needed a structure in place so that he could do what God told him to do. Now, the design of an organizational structure can be described as a process of putting in place a framework which enables an entity to carry out what? To carry out a specific purpose. And then I'm going to use that word again on a going concern basis. Why is having a structure so important? Again, our master Jesus gives us the perfect template. The organizational structure that Jesus left in place is so effective and flexible that it has weathered every storm that it has encountered for over 2000 years. This organizational structure started with 12 disciples and now is well over 2.1 billion if we count ourselves. So you can see that the initial structure that he put in place was so robust and solid 
that it's been able to weather every storm and maximize every opportunity from preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to healing people, to providing miracles, and that structure is still in place. Governments have tried to bring in laws. People have tried to use wars to kill us, but we're still standing. Thank God for that original organizational structure which started with 12 disciples. Now, a structure cannot afford to be so rigid. It has to be flexible. Because a structure that is stable and flexible will bring out the best in a company. It also has to do with position, which is determined by purpose. And there needs to be an order by assigning each member of the organization a position so that you know who is the leader and you know that who are those that have to report to the leader. Not everyone can be a leader. There can't be two captains in a ship, as we quite rightly know. Um, one of the scriptures that I use a lot for when I'm talking about organizational structure is the, that scripture that talks about the body, that the eye has its role, the, the, the nose has its role, the air, you know, every part of the body has its role. The eye cannot say, I'm going to as, as, assume the role of the, of, of the nose uh, and, and vice versa. You just give birth to a monster and you don't want your structure to be a monster. And as we can see, you know, talking about organizational structure, and I started by saying no man is an island and, you know, we can't carry all the burdens. Even organizations in the world are, are appreciating this, this, this fact as well. We, we're seeing a lot of partnerships and collaborations are on the increase. We see shops like Starbucks opening shops in big shopping malls. You know, you see um, bookshops having one section of the bookshop either having a Costa there or a Starbucks or even a cinema because people are understanding that, you know, let's just share this burden. You know, cinemas are no more operating as standalone units. They're trying to exploit the benefit of something called one-stop shopping. In other words, you watch a movie, have a dinner, maybe have a swim after and do your nails at the same time. I'm just being facetious there, but you can understand what I'm talking about. Hence, it's very important that, you know, in your organizational structure, you need to place and arrange each of your departments in such a way that each part, even though they are different, fit into the corporate vision and are adapted to suit each, to suit each other very well. You know, uh, it would not be the case of one department being seen as more important than another department, but every department should have the following. It should have a task, it should have a function, and it should have um, a leadership structure that enables that organization to continue going on. You know, and as I said earlier, we saw how Jesus managed to use 12 people to, um, you know, to, to, to facilitate the structure which we're still operating on. Um, you know, uh, examples of structures is we, we only need to look at the, the stability of the structure of the Holy Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. And as you can see from that structure, each of them have a role and a position in order to enable them to, as I said, uh, be effective on a going concern basis. So ask yourself, do you have a flexible, adequate, solid and robust structure to fully maximize opportunities? And next week, we're going to look at, um, uh, we'll probably continue identifying business opportunities, but we'll go more practical. We'll look at something called a delivery framework where we identify what we need to do. Because what we've done today is just, in a way, build a decision-making framework. So when these uh, opportunities come, you know, we, we, we would have um, been able to, to fully exploit what I said earlier, that fact one, opportunities are everywhere. You just have to find them and execute them. Success always comes when preparation meets opportunities. And I think for me, 
the most important concept that we need to grasp is that opportunities don't just come like that. They don't come in a structured format. They come in an unstructured format. So by having a decision-making framework and by having what we're going to discuss next week called a delivery framework, you are fully prepared to exploit opportunities when they come your way. We end this episode with some take-home points from the discussions held on the frameworks required in identifying business opportunities. Number one, having a framework in place enables you to identify opportunities and deliver its value proposition to markets. Number two, there are two key frameworks for identifying business opportunities. A decision-making framework to identify the opportunities and a delivery framework to take the products to market. Number three, opportunities can be sourced from the vision you have for your life because a vision brings structure to chaos. Number four, the mission statement is an important tool that can be used to identify opportunities and convince stakeholders of the feasibility. Number five, having core values defined brings discipline and focus to the whole process. Number six, Identifying your key stakeholder enables you to manage the relationships that are important to support the identification and delivery of the business opportunities. Number seven, undergoing an internal assessment enables the organization to develop resilience and ensures the right structures are in place to manage opportunities. Number eight, undergoing an external assessment identifies the threats in the marketplace that can arise from competition, economy, laws and regulations, technology, labor, markets, and other areas that could potentially impact the success of the organization. And number nine, having a robust and flexible organizational structure in place to support reporting and optimum decision-making to effectively manage the opportunities. My name is Tunike Akinbulamo. Goodbye and God bless.